welcome back to Wormwood, a serialized mystery. I'm David Acampo, and I'm bringing you the Wormwood and the final post-mortem. So this is going to be our autopsy report on the entire Wormwood series, and in specific, the Wormwood Revelation finale. And I've got with me, as usual, Jeremy Rogers. Hey, guys. And uh, Jeremy, as you know, Jeremy and I are the kind of co-created Wormwood. We, uh, we pulled it out of our asses, the basic ideas. And... Um, and we thought it'd be really fun to to bring on other writers and help uh, to help us get through the whole thing. So when we started doing that, we approached uh, a guy who we had met online at a comic book scripting forum, and his name was Jeremiah Allen. He is not with us tonight, unfortunately. Um, he continues to script some awesome comic books that you can find on Wowio. And uh, Jeremiah really impressed us because he we gave him a, a we asked him to write a sample script with. Um, with uh, uh, using some of the characters from the series Bible we had slapped together. And uh, he, he surprised us by actually, um, uh, you know, before I go any further, I want to say something, and that's that this is going to be filled with spoilers. By now you should know this. <laughs> yeah, this is something for everyone who's listened to the entire show. And so if you are tuning in for the first time, go back and listen from the beginning. And when you're finally done with the show, you can get to this because we're spoiling the heck out of this right now. So... Jeremiah wrote a story that involved Rachel and Jacob, and it revealed for the first time that Rachel was already dead. And Jeremy and I loved that idea so much that we incorporated it right into the, the story from the beginning. So we had Rachel and Jacob in the series Bible, as I recall, right, Jeremy? I think they were both there, but he wrote this story with them and had her be a ghost. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they, they were both in there, and they were pretty vague, and he killed her right off the bat. And it threw me for a bit, but it was really cool. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. exactly, exactly. So, so Jeremiah kind of impressed us with that, and we brought him on board. And Jeremiah took a lot of ownership over the um, the the Rachel and Jacob stuff as it went along. Um, you know, we we uh, we often had differences of, of opinions, and Jeremiah is very passionate about arguing for his side and everything. And but that kind of I think made the writing better in the end. It really made us uh, uh, prove ourselves. Um, you know, our ca- we had to prove our cases as we went along. Um, Jeremiah also one of his favorite characters I know was uh, was were Cedric and and uh, little Abner and uh, I you know he did a lot with those characters and uh, you know we really appreciate that contribution next person we brought on was Rob Allspa and Rob is with us (laughs) hello so Rob uh, was kind of fun he came on after that and we really needed him to I really needed a writer to fill in on an episode really quickly and so I think we threw you right into it didn't we Uh, yeah I think it was uh, episode four or five maybe six somewhere around there and it was uh, uh, the phone call. I said yes. And then you sent me the Bible, and I spent about a Friday night going through everything and then jotted down a bunch of notes, and then that was uh, pretty much it for me. <laughs> <laughs> so, Rob, I think of, when I think of Rob, I think of two things. One is continuity freak. Rob oh, <laughs> um, would, would map out these um, arcane sort of labyrinthine uh, 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 family trees connecting everything often he wanted to connect too many things and we might talk about that a little bit later but uh let's just say that um you know uh uh, sparrow's parents were called into question a number of times and (laughs) but he also he also did a lot of the backstory of the bloomingtons and things like that and that's uh, that's how uh, harlan panic became emily's uh the drowned woman's great great grandfather Yes, exactly. And he was just a name in the Bible, I think, with very few details. He was an old man, I think, um, that Jeremy had written in. Um, And I don't think we had many details on him before Rob fleshed him out and gave him a great scene. 
Um, and Rob is also well known to us as the creator of the SNSA and uh, Chip and Dale, <laughs> the gay <laughs> ghost hunters, <laughs> which is really something that I think took me took me aback for a moment. And um, and uh, uh, you know, I had to really think about: is this going to be able to fit into the show? You know, and, and I'm glad that we took the chance on it because I think it really did fit into the show in a, in a bizarre way and really added to, you know, another aspect to the Wormwood universe that uh, we didn't have before. So, you want to say anything about that, Paul? Or I'm sorry, Rob. <laughs> I don't know, Paul. You got anything to say? <laughs> I thought it was great. It was great. Idea. <laughs> well, there we go. No, there's no, there's too many of you. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All the same to you. I just call Tiffany that girl. <laughs> Thanks. Well, at least she's awake. So. Oh, it's already begun. I will never live that down, will I? Never. 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 Okay, we haven't even introduced Tiffany never. or Paul yet, so we're staying with Rob. Now, Rob, <laughs> tell us about yes. your your uh, edition of the SNSA. Um, I really um, um, we we had a conversation, Dave and I, about where we wanted to go with season two. And after I got off the phone with him, I turned on the TV, and there was an episode of MythBusters. And I went, and they were, you know, it was one of the uh, one of the stations they're on, and they had some ghost hunter stories on afterwards. And I went, "What happens if you combine those two? <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. it that's it's kind of how I, I it just came out. It was, you know, MythBusters, ghost hunters. That's you know, what other supernatural elements are aren't we playing with? Well, you know, the government and. Um, there's uh you know there's always those conspiracy stories about how they're looking for you know arcane and occult pieces to further their power you know little Indiana Jones thrown in you know just just having a lot of fun with it so um, I mean I I honestly I can't remember how the Chipmunks and Chip and Dale came into being mm-hmm. it was just you know spitballing one evening so I mean we just had a lot of fun with them and you know I we we were also trying to find a way to bring in diversity into our cast. Which is extremely hard to do on an audio cast, <laughs> right? So, <laughs> right. You so. know, you know. It's funny. I'm gonna, I'm gonna spoil. Some, I mean, I'm in this postmortem. I kind of feel like all bets are off. So I'm gonna talk about some real behind the scenes things that maybe shouldn't even see the light of day sometimes. But we actually had a conversation about, you know, how you bring a. a, a um, uh, an ethnic character onto the show without making them a stereotype, because all, if all you have is the voice, then the tendency might be to to just sort of um, to to go stereotypical in the sound of someone's voice, and that's exactly. not really fair. That's not really right. Um, and so we we actually had discussions about that, you know. But but that said, I think what was interesting is you know uh, uh, Rob came up with these characters, and um, <clears throat> you know he I, I really love the characters, and then. Um, Ben Boodman, uh, one of our actors, played uh, Chip, and, you know, I kind of said to him, I said, you know, I want him to sound, you know, a, a little effeminate. I mean, I have a lot of gay friends, and they say, you know, you can kind of, the, the way they talk, I mean, it's just naturally, the way, not everyone, you know, and so we had Dale as a counterpart to that, where he shouldn't sound like that, and I said, but if you if you kind of want to bring it out a little bit, I said, you know, not, not, um, uh, what was that not show? Not over the top. Yeah, not over the top, where it's, um, what was that show, um... Will and Grace. I said, not not the Jack character from Will and Grace, but the Will character from from Will and Grace. You know, where you know every once in a while he'll say something that's a little a little you know sounds gay. You know, but he but it's not stereotypical or anything. And he did a I, I just thought he did a really great job where he sounds really natural, but he sounds like gay friends that I have. You know. <laughs> yes. I thought the first the first time I heard the Chip character wasn't what I had pictured in my head, but. Right. As I as I got to hear it, it it just became perfect for that character. 
Yeah, yeah. And, and would you say that you started writing for him, or for I, for the actor, as you got familiar with that voice? Yeah, pretty much. That's that. That's how it. That that's how I really started to flesh him out after after yeah. hearing that first episode. Then it became e- actually easier to write for Chip, knowing that the actor yeah. was going to do a great job with him. Yeah, it could have very easily been a like a parody, but he really yeah. sort of lived the character a little bit and kind of really made it work and made it real enough that you know I really was happy with it as it went over. And so, so yeah, I think that was very successful. Something that Somebody still cracks knows- me up so much about Chip and Dale is the fact that you introduce Dale, a character in an audio show that doesn't talk much. <laughs> it, it, it always cracks me up. It's hysterical. But it worked, though. And I you mean, pitched that was- it to it, us it, that it way. Work. It, it worked great. You know, the, the one scene where they're driving up to uh, they're driving up the lake, to the lake to find whatever. They just got into Wormwood, and yeah. Chip's explaining his whole backstory. And then Dale breaks into the 90210 theme song. (laughs) (laughs) That was an ad lib, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Dave Johnston ad libbed that part, and he's got some great ad libs that he's done with uh, Wayne. That was that was that was classic. I just that that I died when I heard that. Yeah, that was great stuff. Um, yeah, you know, we allow our actors to, to do enough sort of ad-libbing. Well, we don't allow them. They just do it. But um, we like <laughs> yeah. it. We like it enough that we don't fix it in post. Um, no. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's funny because I think you guys as the writers and even us, sometimes we just get surprised. I mean, there are times when they'll say something that we weren't expecting and Jeremy and I will be trying our hardest not to laugh in the recording session, you know. Um, and other times it is what we wrote, but it's the way they perform it just, you know, has yeah. us really trying to hold that laughter in. <laughs> um, so next up, um, uh, Rick uh, Beta Jr. Um, did I say his last name right? I think in an interview uh, recently I he, mentioned him. And, yeah, I think it's Beta. Yeah, I think I called him Bada in an interview recently. So Rick um, wasn't with us. Uh, he, he, he left. Er- he came in a little later and left a little earlier. But he, he yeah, he's. Known for a couple contributions in, in that he is the first person to introduce um, Brezier to Hot Pockets, <laughs> a, a, a gag that we kept in the series until the end. Um, and he also is the first one to introduce Jacob liking to draw pictures of people on the toilet. <laughs> there were these sort of random like gags that we didn't know where they came from. They weren't something that came up in any writer's meeting. They just sort of popped in there. <laughs> well, you know, if we liked them, we sort of ran with it. <laughs> It's color. It's color. We like yes. <laughs> um, And right about that time, Tiffany also came on board. Tiffany K. Whitney. Tiffany. Hello. Who is with us and actually has a voice this time. Uh, you may recall a previous uh, postmortem chat where she uh, could only type messages and we had to read them to you. Um, <laughs> In Valley Girls. It's like Ghostwriter. <laughs> <laughs> well, the best part of that whole thing was Dave doing her type messages in valley girl speak <laughs> it yeah. was the best part so <laughs> tiffany <laughs> tiffany really took a liking to um jimmy details and sparrow right those are your two favorite yeah. characters and well, so i yeah i'll go on <laughs> i didn't mean to interrupt you no no i was just gonna say uh, i'd say most notably the escape from la um and mm-hmm. the and the, the 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 trip through las vegas um you know and, and also one of my favorite characters included in worm revelation which was sunny <laughs> Who, she was awesome. Who helped, who helped Jimmy Details break back into OMG. Wormwood. <laughs> OMG. <laughs> so, um, yeah. I still have to wonder, why was Jimmy Details singing an aha song? <laughs> um, so not because, at all. 
That's my <laughs> that's my thing about Tiffany. Tiffany, I, I've I've never said this uh, to you, but uh, I've always felt like that you didn't really want to play Jimmy as the metal character, and it was just too fun to have him just doing pop songs all the way through. Well, I thought that was the irony of it was that here's this guy who does metal, but he. Like, for some reason, is, like, a a fan of really cheesy, stupid 80s pop songs. Right. And, you know, like, he's hey, just That's a... one of the best songs of all time. Don't call that stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I happen to be a huge 80s fan, and I am, I am yes. uh, ashamed of that. But at the same time, <laughs> 80s are great. And I just, I think it's funny that the, you know, super metal guy is into 80s songs. And, you know, he's, he's the type of person that I, I looking back... Um, I wish he had done like Billy Idol songs. I wish I had gotten that in there. I, I <laughs> well, you also did. got that him awesome. rewriting the lyrics to Space Oddity, as I recall, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah, but that's not really 80s. No, it's not really so, 80s, but yeah, it's but, definitely not but, you metal. You know, he's a Bowie person. Yeah, not metal, <laughs> Bowie person, very ostentatious personality. And <clears throat> yeah. I mean, I that's just who Jimmy is to me. He's this ostentatious person that wants to be, you know, out there and he wants to be noticed and... and he also is not afraid to be who he is. And Absolutely. That, that's one of the things that I like about him. And so. I think that's a lot of what worked for us, um, you know, over time is, is uh, you know, yeah. I always, it's so funny though, because for every one of those references, I wanted to make sure that he had some kind of metal reference too, because I didn't mm-hmm. want him to seem like he wasn't uh, into, into the metal. metal. But, yeah. but from the, even the series Bible, we had written up, a thing where he kept experimenting with new kinds of metal and he was infusing different things into his, um, into his, uh, metal. Um, and I can't remember now, but I had written a piece. It was a blog that he had written. that was a travelogue to Wormwood and it was before any of the episodes were written. And in it, he kind of starts talking about his bands in a very grandiose third person way, you know, about their, their contribution to society or, you know, (laughs) and so it had, it had these sort of different experimental metals that he had um, come up with, and so he's—he's he's really kind of an alchemist, is yeah. what we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> playing around with alloys, and he's going for the philosopher's stone. Basically, there we go. exactly. Did we have like a thirty-minute discussion on whether or not he had long hair? We might I always, have. <laughs> I always uh, pictured him with long hair, anyway, because you know you gotta do that if you're metal. So, no, I always pictured the 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 cut the long little longer but cut grungy hair. Mm. Mm. Kind of mullety, yeah. <laughs> a little, a little mullety, bangs, jacket bangs, and, and you know, kind of, kind of over the, over the top of the ears. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so all right. So that the brings us through. Now up in arms. <laughs> yeah, we we did spend a long time discussing it, um, and uh, I I do remember that. And you know, I think it, that's that's the beauty, though. And that's one thing that I'm going to go back to Jeremy for a second, and that he was very adamant about is that we do not. Uh, paint any pictures of the characters uh, literally like no photography no no artistic drawings until there's an official person doing it because he wanted them to be characters that people sort of uh, envisioned in their mind different ways you know as we went along we had to do certain things you know jeremy specifically made sure that jimmy details had these big gnarly knuckles right (laughs) that was jeremy's contribution (laughs) if if we sketched him out with all the different bits and pieces that we've all written in over time. Oh, it would be he's, insane. He's, he's this like uh, like this Ramones junkie sort of <laughs> I don't I don't know, just weird looking I don't know, gorillas <laughs> type character. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I could see yeah. him looking like the lead singer from Gorillas. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know, I just I always just kind of pictured him as the 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 kind of geeky guy next door who 
real good at heart, real good at heart, a little weird. Mm-hmm. Likes all that bad music, but you know he'll go out of his way to help you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think everybody knows a Jimmy details. Everybody has G- Jimmy details in their life. Everybody knows a Jimmy mm. details, or a little bit of them. There's a little Jimmy in them. If you don't know one, <laughs> you are Jimmy. You are details. one. <laughs> <laughs> so that brings us to Paul. Hi. <laughs> Paul Montgomery is the the last person to join our staff. Uh, the Paul, baby. A, a friend of mine uh, who I met online, and I still haven't actually met in person, but I consider a good friend. Um, Paul actually. Anthony, you're welcome. Um, <laughs> Uh, uh, Paul, I, I, the th- out of the three out of the five of us, only me, you, and Jeremy have met Dave. Well, I've met Tiffany. Yeah. And Tiff- oh. yeah. Jeremy and I know oh. Tiffany. We met her in person in LA before she moved. Oh. Yeah. The, yes. So the only two people I've never met are Jeremiah. Well, and I guess Rick, I've never met in person. And, yeah. uh, and, and Paul. Um, uh, so Paul um, was interesting because we gave people, uh, you know, early on we gave people a choice. <laughs> Tiffany, you know, that's another thing. I want to go back to Tiffany for a second. Tiffany's sample script for us, again, we gave them the Bible and we said you can write like a five to eight page script using characters from the Bible or you can. Um, Wormwood, not King James. Yeah, <laughs> the, the, the Wormwood <laughs> series Bible, yes. <laughs> and so. And so Tiffany wrote a great piece with Jimmy Details perfecting the didgeridoo, or no, using a didgeridoo and causing some kind of weird spell to be cast over Wormwood. Yes. <laughs> there was an earthquake, right? There was an earthquake, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. something yeah. like that. And I think that was all a part of him trying to create a new kind of a metal. A new kind of too. metal, like, exactly. Yeah, because yeah. <laughs> he was doing it with the didgeridoo, so. <laughs> it was like aboriginal metal or something. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, so that was Tiffany's thing. Now, now with Paul, he didn't actually write a, a sample script for us, but instead, what he did is he sent me a a, a spec script he had written for The Office, and um, you know, I, I had heard this before that you know, a, a lot of people, um, you know, producers and stuff will look at. It's not necessarily that you have to write for our show, but you have, but if you can, you know, mimic the voices or find the voices of characters in other shows, it shows that you can do that. And if you do that for one show, you can do that for any show. So Paul sent me this spec script for The Office that was, it read just like an Office script. I, I would have thought he, you know, stole it from someone, mm-hmm. um, but it was really good, and I had no doubts from that point on um, that Paul would be able to to handle the Wormwood characters. Um, and uh, and I think it was tough for him because he came in the latest, and so we were already sort of established. And he and I co-wrote one of the first scripts together. But I think it was it was a little intimidating um, um, uh, coming in the first writers meeting that I was involved. I, I came on in season two. Um, we were talking about it between seasons. And uh, I came, and you invited me to check out a, a, a writers' meeting, and um, we talked a little bit. I asked you a couple of things about the background of some of the characters, and um, was, yes. I was trying to think of some some of the things, like some of the plot points that I might like to write about. And I was I, I was very interested in the Hand of Glory and mm-hmm. Xander's Xander's Xander's. Yeah, you hand. asked me a lot of questions about that. I remember yeah. that. It was just it was it was a kind of mythology that was very interesting to me. So it felt very very new, although it, it's it's a pre-existing kind of idea. The, the hand of glory, the, the hangman's hand, but um, it's something that I, I never saw really played with a lot in, in different things. Um, so, I mean, you see werewolves and vampires and stuff around all over the place, but hands of glory are kind of, it's kind of a refreshing kind of idea. Um, so I, I wanted to talk about that, and we, we came up with some of the mythology on that and, and, and build upon what was in the Bible a bit. And then um, I, I joined in on the writer's meeting. It kept kind of quiet a little bit, but um, everybody was very nice. Everybody was very gracious and um, very, very patient with my dumb questions and then um, we, we, we uh, figured out some, we un- untangled some some threads a bit I think and then uh, we, we came up with some good ideas for season two and the, and the good thing about season two coming in was it was more 
episodic, wasn't it? It mm-hmm. was. Yeah, that was the it, goal. It, but, yeah, yeah. So it was. To, um, so that was very. Um, it, it very helpful for me, so I could just sort of come up with my own. I could go off in my own little corner of the sandbox and play around a little bit until I got used to, you know, playing well with others. I guess. But yeah, <laughs> what what Paul is is probably best known for is is creating the ghost characters. He took Rachel's plight and he kind of evolved it into a whole uh, a culture, the ghost culture, which we had talked about. As as Paul says, we had talked about vampires, we had established werewolves, but you know, Rachel was sort of the only. Uh, well, she, she wasn't maybe the only ghost, but she was the ghost that we were sticking with the most. And uh, so we had to really, and, and so he sort of developed that into, you know, what, what happens to these ghosts that stick around? And they come up with this great idea that involved Raleigh and uh, Colin Crane and uh, a host of ghosts. Um, mm-hmm. um, and, and, there's, and that sort of ghost subculture, which fit right in. Um, it, funny that, like, Jeremiah picked right up on that and started playing with the werewolf clan as being one that was warring with the ghosts over centuries, which I thought was really interesting. Um, so, you know, he, he, he did sort of, you established your own ideas a little bit, but um, you play you know, you were in the same sandbox, and eventually we just kind of all came over and, you know, <laughs> everybody okay, was playing together. Hey, you guys together. have neat Tonka trucks over there, and yeah. that looks kind of fun, so we should play, yeah, yeah we should all play together, so that, and, and it got to be that way, and the the writers' meetings that we've had, we we do them on Skype um, every once in a while. Um, we uh, I had a lot of fun. It was, it was it was a really great experience of collaboration, and and uh, I really I really cherish those meetings because um, as 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 a young writer, that there it was just great to solve problems with with uh, with some other like-minded people, and it was fun. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, I think I think one thing that I love about the writers' room is that everybody's been very respectful and very. Uh, 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 you know, I, I think all of us kind of know that it's the best idea on the page. And you know, there have been times where we've argued. There, and, and and with Jeremy and I as the showrunners, there are times where we just put our foot down and say, "This is it." But I think you guys know that we're not doing it out of any sort of pettiness or anything. But it's that no, no, we need we know where this needs to go. But then there are other times where Jeremy and I will argue, and then you guys just have to sit there and listen to these emails fly back and forth that are, oh, you know, God. long, long emails where we bitterly <laughs> battle our points back and forth. You know, and uh, but again, that's part of our process. And and in the end, I think, you know, Jeremy and I don't take it personally, although I did slash his tires that one time. Um, and <laughs> it, you know, was that, it's after it's always, or be- was that after or before I put sugar in his gas? <laughs> <laughs> and I made Dave wear that hat on Facebook for killing off Dale. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you didn't want me to kill Dale. Well, you know, it's funny. Uh, that the, the, He needed to die. The Dale, the Dale story was funny was because about the same time that I'm like, you know, I don't want to kill uh, Wayne, who was originally supposed to die. You know, I think you were running out of things for, for Dale to not say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I really, I have to really question why I brought in a silent man into an audio <laughs> No, but it worked, man. It worked. <laughs> Well, it's just the, it was a pregnant sort of silence, and it gestates after a while, and you just have to say, you know, move on. Yeah. <laughs> but it it was it was great. While, you felt while it his, You felt his presence in the scenes. You knew he was. You there. did. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, Jeremy. It sounded like you were going to say something about that. Were you going to say something about our our uh, our emails and our um, <laughs> decision oh, making in um, the writers' room? I don't know. Maybe you weren't. Pro- uh, pro- no, probably. Well, yeah. I mean, it, I would rather all of us, you know, be passionate enough to to, to want to fight for what we think is right, to to work out the idea, to to get it across, and it, it's always better for that. Yeah, 
And yeah. So I don't mind if we spend two or three days sending 100 emails back and forth. I mean, it takes a lot of time, and, it, and I don't get any work done those days. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, it, it's, it's better in the end. And keep in mind, when we say 100 emails back and forth, this is usually Jeremy and I by this point, because the rest of them are just going, oh, mom and dad are fighting again. <laughs> and uh, and it's we, just us kind of – sorry, go ahead, Paul. I'm sorry. Can, could, can we reveal what I think was our one of the bigger disagreements – Sure. I thought, well, and this was one of those things, and I I, I feel a little bit, because Jeremiah's not here, and I think he was part of this, was that we were talking about um, uh, Rachel and and how her story arc ends. Mm, Yeah, I remember that. And that that. was one of the things early on that we, uh, yeah, so, and that was, that was, that was very difficult for me, because I came in and doing the ghost stuff, um, and that's, that's what I sort of latched on to, that basically, um, I, I, I sort of inherited the, the Rachel story a bit and, uh, and I, you know, I worked with Jeremiah for a bit on that and we, we came to sort of a, a disagreement about should she come back to a mortal body or should she cross over or how does her story end and also how does the story end with, you know, between her and Jacob. So yeah. that was, that was, that, and that was one that I, I, you know, I sort of felt very bad about because I knew that that was, you know, I didn't create that character, and I knew that um, he really had an affection for those characters, and I just wanted to make sure that we ended the story in a way that both satisfied him as a as a creator and, and sort of someone who nourished those characters and nurtured those characters, um, and then but also something that treats the the whole story well and and, and is a good arc for that character. And I think maybe one of, one of the things is that. Uh, when, when I, what I, one of the things I learned in school was that, like, um, this, the, what the character needs in the beginning of the story might not necessarily be what the character needs by the end of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's and that's what arc really is, I guess. But um, and maybe that there was a different way that that would have ended um, had we not introduced the ghosts into that story. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, it's it's a it's a very difficult question, I guess. But um, I, I, I'm very happy with where Rachel ended up in the end, and I, I hope everyone is too. Um, and I, I think that's a uh, I, I didn't take that that lightly. That you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we were tasked with coming up with an ending for those two characters because I mean it's 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 Xander Crow's story, but the the heart of it is also about um, you know Rachel and, and Jacob too. So those mm-hmm. those are the kids, and you want to make sure that they. And that, that's, the, that's sort of the love story of the whole thing, and I just want to make sure it ends up right. And I, I think it, it went to a good place and an adult place, and um, I, I was very happy with it. I was my too. Take, <laughs> I, was, I was happy with the way it ended, but I thought I, my take on it was that I thought the introduction of Harmony Bannister really sealed Rachel's fate. And I thought that with by having Jacob kind of hook up with harmony that really kind of you know yeah brought it you know he he now has experienced something beyond rachel so it was really interesting because i'm gonna even go back further and say that an early disagreement when it i think when it was still just um jeremiah and jeremy and i was that uh, was it, it sounds so silly now but it was whether or not rachel was in love with jacob or jacob was in love with rachel and those, and that sounds very simple, but they were two very fundamentally different stories. In one, Rachel was hanging around because of her love for Jacob, even though he didn't really see it. And in the other, he was keeping her around because, um, because you know, he was in love with her and couldn't let her go. 
And so, you know, I, I think in the end, uh, you know, Jeremiah was very passionate uh, uh, that, you know, it should be that Jacob should be the one in love with her. And I think I disagreed. I think Jeremy was somewhere like he's like, I could see it either way. <laughs> and so eventually I just kind of was like, we're going to do this way. And I, I, I'm happy with it, but I, I can definitely see that it could have gone either way. They're just two different stories. And, and it's interesting <laughs> because I think as they went along, what we got to see is it, it didn't matter, you know, by the middle. You, this maybe goes towards what Paul's saying about, you know, the, what you need in the beginning is not necessarily what you need. But, you know, the characters just sort of bonded together through their situation, and it kind of didn't really matter who was in love with who. Um, um, but but I think that, 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 that Rob is right in that, you know, introducing Harmony really added that layer. It added that love triangle. And then Paul's introduction of Colin added a weird sort of quadrangle to it where... <laughs> where um you know rachel actually could see somebody that was in her same situation and could relate to and i always thought that was a nice metaphor for you know you're kind of growing up and you're sort of the person you loved as a child maybe you you find somebody that you meet that you get along sure. with more and it's and it's not even just it's not even just like a a, a love relationship it's just a, a friends kind of thing and just a, a philosophy kind of thing exactly you yeah. meet somebody in college that has a different philosophy than you know yeah. your friends from high school and it's there's less and less overlapping and you just end it's, up spending time yeah. with one person and you know it's like so, Dawson's yeah. Creek where <laughs> Joey doesn't end up with Dawson she ends up well, with Pacey well, and I'm a, sorry for any spoiler alerts there okay well as a as a listener I thought it was uh, that's interesting I, I don't I mean I wasn't privy to the, the conversation about is is Jacob in love with Rachel or, or the opposite I thought I thought as a listener um, first that it was it was going to be a back and forth kind of thing like they're in love with each other at different times yeah I, I um, think that's kind of well, how it was, came out well that was my understanding when I when I signed on that at first it was it was the one-sided Rachel loved Jacob but Jacob was too blind to see it or he he thought of her only as a friend. Yeah. But then we moved them along to where he started actually seeing Rachel for the first time after she died. Yes. Yes. And that was definitely that was, something that we and, and that was the whole tragedy behind their situation was it's too late. It, <laughs> yeah, it and 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 I always thought that was we were going to keep that if if we were going to keep anything we were going to keep that tragedy from the beginning to the end. Yeah. And to where he, you know, he basically has to come to grips with it and has to deal with the fact that, yeah. you know, his, what could have been his greatest love is, is, it can never be. And, and with, with the introduction of the ghosts and the idea of crossing over, you introduce an element of, okay, what if Rachel's ready to move on just as Jacob's beginning to, you know, really wish that he could have her back and then adding the harmony aspect and the fact that she gets put into harmony, suddenly they have the second chance, but they're kind of in different places now. And it's very weird. And that was sort of a subplot in Revelation was, okay, I'm in this girl's body and I've been in here for like six months now. And you look at me and I can see the lust in your eyes because you see harmony. Or is it because you see me? Is it because you're getting a second chance? And even if that's okay, it's not okay because I'm not in my own body, you know? And so that, that was, was a meaty that was, subplot. <laughs> that was both delightful and horrible to, and harrowing to write. Um <laughs> I got to write a bit of that that stuff, and and it was just remember thinking of the ethical questions like, oh, of course. So, what plotting it out in advance, like, okay, and at this point, then they're they're going to have a little bit of a a, a a relationship that's beyond platonic, and they're they're thinking about going to the next level, and then but I'm like, but it's they're really think about it. She's like, she's in another person's body, and it, that was that's that really was one not, of the most 
That was one of the most intense writers meeting we had, though. Coming, <laughs> yeah. dealing with the ramifications of the simple fact that we put Rachel in Harmony's body. Because it's so abstract in the beginning, and it's and it's a like a horror fantasy idea. But then when you think of the real world implications of that, and you get into the ethics of it, like, gosh, that's yeah. really messed up. <laughs> yeah, mean, it was one of the things I'm glad that we did because it forced us to really play with that fact. And I yeah. remember we had writers, we had a a. a, a, a thread in the writers meeting where we're talking about okay so they have sex now is that rape to, to oh, harmony yeah. and and what does she feel about that and like can we go that dark and i mean we had some dark material that we could have gone for and you know i, I like the path that we chose but you know we didn't have that discussion i think that would have been unnecessarily dark to go that far mm-hmm. yeah there's i mean there's a whole episode in there where the where, where jacob is basically asking people if it's okay yeah <laughs> <laughs> He just wants permission. He has a stranger. He has, he has Henry. Although um, we did have two decapitated heads making out at the bottom of the corners. That's true. Well, yeah, but those so. were consenting heads. That's true. <laughs> and I, I and speaking of all that stuff, I just like a lot of a lot of my writing for Wormwood. I would sit down and think. I would try to get into Jeremy's headspace to get as messed up as he is because oh, he's come God. up with some of the weirdest and strangest and most delightfully horrible things that I've ever heard. And so I try to get there, and I, I never quite get there, but trying to get there, I think. <laughs> I, I have to say that the most disturbing image in all three seasons has to be the whole Tom Lamette and, and <laughs> Troy scene at the end. Uh, Troy. <laughs> Oh, good lord, that was... You know, it was bad enough to read it on paper and then to hear it. <laughs> and here's the funny thing with that scene, okay? And this this comes to Jeremy and I in our collaboration because I sort of expect this from Jeremy and I try to rise to the occasion. There are other times where I feel like it's my job to kind of pull us back a little bit, you know, and make sure we don't lose the audience on the way because Jeremy can come up with some really twisted stuff. But Jeremy you is like... You guys Louise over that one. Je- Jer- <laughs> well, yes, and I'll tell you, and I'll tell you this. I... In not even in the writers' meeting was there the aborted fetus come to life demon <laughs> mentioned. But I get a I get a call or an email from Jeremy. Oh yeah, I'm halfway through the Lynette scene. I'm ready to hand it off to you. By the way, <laughs> here's what I did. <laughs> dot dot dot. And so you know what I said? I, uh, fuck it. I said, Thelma and Louise, let's go. I, I, and I went and I wrote the last half of that scene. So you know, I actually was I liked it because Jeremy got me into his headspace and then I got to sort of play it out. And so I sort of, I really did try to put on my best Jeremy and, and, um, and, you know, and it was, and it was pretty twisted. It was pretty, <laughs> it was a I think my favorite part was her talking about how maybe they could take him to an orthodontist to fix his little needle teeth. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> for, for me, it was the, it was the little kids on the pulley system. Um, oh God. Just, when yeah, I, I first heard that, that when I first heard that idea, I was just, I felt like I've been playing it far too safe my entire life I've just <laughs> I've been stopping well before the edge of the cliff and I just I that is know, one I of the reasons that I that I started co-writing with Jeremy is because he would pull this stuff out that was I couldn't have written it, and he's I think a, he's a bad person. You, <laughs> you you want that in your co-writer because you want yeah. something that you absolutely don't expect. And what's funny is, you know, and I've said this before. I don't know if I've ever said it on a podcast or anything, but you know, I'm a big fan of Twin Peaks. Twin Peaks had David Lynch, you know, but it also had Mark Frost. And I don't know exactly how things were split up, but 
I always felt like the weirdest shit when they really let it go was David Lynch getting to run wild. And so I always saw Jeremy as our David Lynch, where mm-hmm. I would, if we gave him the autonomy to just do a little thing, he would come up with this wild stuff. And it was never stuff that was in the writers' meetings. It was always like, oh, by the way, I've decided to write episode 23, and I'm going to kill Sparrow and Crow, and they're going to be rebirthed through the twins and this and that. It was all just twisted stuff. And But, you know, I kind of wanted to give him the space to just go crazy with that because I knew it would be just utterly compelling stuff. Um, other imagery that sticks out in my mind is um, is uh, Jimmy's dream sequence around episode ten or eleven, with the where mm. he's putting the little things on the fish hook with tentacles oh, and that was a fun scene. And then and then also Lamora and uh, Xander Crow. Anything with Lamora and her, I love that. Her I love those yeah. weird it's... tentacly tumors under the skin. This weird sexual. It's like almost this Cronenbergian scene, but in audio. <laughs> That's really as killed a lot of people. <laughs> I, I felt bad season. about killing her. She was a great character. I was mad. I was mad <laughs> when yeah. she died. As a fan, as if I was just like, oh, she's wonderful. I, I wanted uh, her to stick around, but I don't remember if this happened in this order. But a behind the scenes thing is that we lost touch with that actress. She actually moved away, and uh, um, and so I think we may have killed her because of that, Jeremy. Or did we? Or did we kill her anyway? And then it just happened that she had moved away. No, we we, I, I we killed her before, was. and then. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, no, she was killed before we knew that she was moving. Oh, okay, okay. And uh, I, I think, think there was I think there was one dream sequence after that. Yeah, and we had next, yeah, yeah. in the next session that we had to we had to kind of yeah. shuffle to But well, it was we also fixed. we we had also I think during the second or third writers meeting, we had determined that we hadn't killed anybody recently. <laughs> and yeah. so we went on a on a freaking murdering spree. <laughs> <laughs> so 53 people, right? I think is, is I think it, Rob Grinlinger, um, who plays Sheriff yeah. Bradley, he wrote that on our Facebook wall. Um, yeah, it, it's very interesting. Um, it, it was something and where we killed him seven times. <laughs> <laughs> where um, it, we actually had that discussion, be, and I think we've talked about this elsewhere. But you know, as we started setting up the mystery and all the plots, it was really interesting. But I'm, but I, I actually said in one of the early writers' meetings, I said, you know what, this is a murder mystery. We need to kill people. We need to start winnowing down the suspects. And so we were actually looking at it. And so a lot, one of the characters that a lot of people still want to know more about is Steve Haskell, the bartender. Mm-hmm. Oh. Everybody was... wants to know about uh, Steve Haskell, uh, uh, this mysterious character of the cold turkey, uh, the bar in, in Wormwood, and we basically – he ended up being cannon fodder. He was not meant to be killed that early, but mm-hmm. we we realized that we needed to up the ante. We needed there to be a threat. We needed there to be danger, and so yeah, we knew that we – had, we, we, had, we had Rachel die in the very first episode, then nothing until episode five. Yeah. Where... Yeah. Yeah, we had a lot of we had a lot of setup and backstory though. Yeah, we did. Yeah, exactly. But you know, you, you kind of felt at a certain point. So this well, is that a, Emily died somewhere along the line. Of she, that died, too. she died. She died in seven. She died in seven. Yeah. She died in seven. Oh, yeah. Oh, um, okay. So so it was interesting, and this is a little process thing for any listeners who you know might be curious about how it goes. Is that you know we did have a series Bible um, laid out and. Uh, um, um, and, and we really adhered to that, but within that, we started realizing things as we went. And the, the writer's room sessions where we blocked out eight episodes at a time, um, you know, allowed us to kind of be nimble with that and say, here's what's working, here's what's not. Um, you know, we made those adjustments as we went along. And that's how Jonesy became a displaced <laughs> Viking warrior. <laughs> and a hobo. <laughs> And and here's a funny thing for anybody that now the the Viking thing came later, but but Jonesy had given a speech about Maidu and the World Maker and Coyote 
Rob had written a long speech in I don't know maybe episode six or something of season uh, one. Yeah, it, it was. was it, wasn't that your first script? That was his no, first. That was, it was my second script. Se- okay. I think. Okay. I think three was my first. Okay. No, and, I wrote three. Um, I think four maybe was your. No, four was Jeremy. Oh. Yeah. I don't know, it, but but Xander was in jail, and that was the one where Sparrow was, you know, don't don't give it up too quickly. Yeah. You got to fight to make him respect you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and so you had Jonesy give this long speech that lasted a, like an entire page about yeah. about all this stuff, and I basically said, no, no, we don't need that so early. Now, understandably, this was you were you were coming into it. You had the writer's Bible, the series Bible next to you, and it was just like, what can I add in, <laughs> you know? And so I had to kind of go in there and be like, okay, let's not do that yet, but. I just want to point that out that that ends up being revealed in even in the finale of Revelation. We go back and we talk about World Maker and uh, and it's actually Jimmy Details that gives the speech there. Um, you know what's funny is that you cut that scene twice. Did I? Yeah, you cut the scene from the first from the first season, and then I had uh, pretty much the same oh. scene to uh, to Dale. Yeah. At the end, where Dale dies, and yeah. you, you cut it twice scumbag <laughs> well you know i didn't i i always felt when i was reading it that, and and maybe it's because i was, was a, really a third forced. party is that it, it just was exposition that was slowing the scenes down that wasn't really needed and so what's interesting is when we did finally use it it was jimmy details uh piece that runs all the way through the finale and it actually is just exposition but it sort of sums up the whole town and so i thought it actually worked really well and then jeremy played off of that by having um by having crow say to sparrow a kiss for my world maker um, which you know, which kind of tied into the whole thing about the object and what the object is, and I thought that was fantastic, you know. So I'm I'm really glad that we reserved it, and I didn't set out thinking that I wasn't like, no, no, we're saving this for the finale. It's just like I'm like, no, this doesn't feel right here. This doesn't feel right here, and I, I'm glad that we finally got to use it though. So, um, you know, we have a bunch of listener questions, but before we get to that, I just kind of want to go around and I want to ask you guys each about your experience with the series overall and um, any last comments or uh, anything that you want to, uh, to say about the process or the story itself or anything like that. So, um, uh, Jeremy, you want to start with this one? Uh, sure, sure. Or, um, am I putting you on the spot? <laughs> no, 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 it's okay. Um, this is, this was a huge collaboration and, and kind of, kind of looking back and seeing how all that worked out and how everybody kind of fell into certain places where things were mapped out enough to, enough to get started, but we all developed really distinct voices and we were able to kind of work with each other's voices and kind of learn what our strong suits were going to be and, and then integrate the, all that together into one really massive collaborative project. So I, I think at least my, my what, what I take away from that is writing in my in my little sections i, I think i found what, what my strengths are <laughs> what was that what was that was a little abner saying hi. Little abner. <laughs> i'm sorry i have a beagle and he sounds like a horn when he barks so <laughs> that's brilliant I, i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> it was little abner just go with it okay yeah. <laughs> sorry guys didn't mean to interrupt you keep going no, no, no. That was really about it. I mean, I it was it was the fact that we, that we collaborated on on such a large scale for so long that I, I think everybody's writings changed from the beginning to the end, and I I, I know mine definitely has. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I it, just the fact that we were able to work on something this big over this much time. It, it just it, it it feels monumental to be done with it. It was very satisfying to to write the final the finale. It was. It was stressful. 
It, it was, was it was stressful. <laughs> we we to give to give uh, listeners an idea. Um, we would we would have one writers meeting in seasons one and two. One writers meeting to block out eight episodes. We had three writers meetings plus a slew of emails um, to to map out uh, what we're going to do with Wormwood Revelation because we put a lot of emphasis on, you know, are we really tying everything up correctly? You know, is, does everyone get a proper landing, uh, you yeah. know, for their character? You know, you didn't want to just drop anyone off a cliff at the end, you know, um, metaphorically, not literally. Um, you know, we wanted every ending to feel right. And so we put a lot of... Um, it was tough. It was. Yeah. I mean, we didn't finish the last script until um, eight hours before we recorded. No, ten hours <clears> before we recorded the episode. And it was. It was just sitting there looking at the page, making sure everything seems right for the final note for everybody. And it. And it didn't really change much throughout the day that that last day. But it was just. It was nerve wracking just to sit there and 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 wonder if you're missing anything. Wonder if 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 you have it. If you have the tone the way you want it for the end. Yeah. Yeah. Rob, what are your thoughts? Oh, I had a great time. And I have to, you know, I this was the first thing that I've written on such a large scale or been part of, to be honest with you. I've never done, I've never written a script. I've never written, I've written a couple plays, but those were for classes. But this is the first real kind of commercial thing that I've ever been part of. And so the first script that I wrote was pretty nerve wracking. And it was, <laughs> am I hitting the right points? Am I, am I, am I, writing in the right voice and I think as we've gone on it has become real it's become easy to work with the rest of the writers because it's just it's very collaborative it's very um, supportive of each other you throw out an idea and you know it's you know as you could tell from the, the previous hour that we have a lot of fun talking with each other mm -hmm. and so I mean it's just it's just a blast to write and um you know, I I'm 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 proud of a few different episodes I wrote and some that I brought to the table. I like the fact that I brought the Harlan Panic story from the first season into it. I think we needed that backstory and just a little bit of connections thrown throughout instead of this, you know, um, this mystery without without any foundation. You know, and it just you know more more layers being peeled from the onion of the story. Um, really dig I really liked what I did with the ghost hunters and probably my favorite scene to write was the grave robbing scene. <laughs> that is that is a fan favorite I think too. That and the uh the um oh, what was it episode 19 um what was your title for that? It was a great title. Necromancy and the Art of Making Friends, I think. Yeah, that was the great. <laughs> great oh yeah. Great title, yeah. great episode um uh you know, it's I think one that resonates with a lot of people that a lot of people mention to us. Is oh, and they had the two heads making out, and you know all this kind yeah. of stuff. It was a wild, crazy episode. I I would like to also add that um you know yeah I've seen Rob kind of come a long way with this in that you know I, I think it was nerve wracking starting at the beginning, but I also think you and I sort of lapsed into a nice um sort of uh, writer editor um yes. uh, relationship. I, I I meant to bring that up too. Is that you Dave? made me you made me a better editor for one thing, but it was really nice. Is that Rob would would have these raw ideas and he would call me up and I would be sitting there in my office or wherever I was in the car and I'd sort of work it through with him and I'd be like, well, what's important here? And I think it helped me a lot to see because he would have this raw material that I thought was fantastic, but I I, could, I knew I could guide it. I knew I could say like, ah, oh, okay, and and it kind of really challenged me a little bit, and I really liked that. And I thought together we actually uh, worked through some stuff and came up with some really strong stuff. Yeah, I think I think a lot. I think the reason why I think a lot of my episodes are really good is because Dave's editing. 
and knowing when to pull me back and knowing when to let me go forward with a few ideas because I threw I threw some poo on the wall and some <laughs> of it stuck and some of it slid down to make a mess on the floor. But um But that's but, kinda how writing is, you know? Yeah. And and I <laughs> I have to say that I would give him like twenty eight page episodes. <laughs> Yeah, and then I'd be like, "But what's the story really here?" You know, yeah. and what, and then uh, you know, looking at what you can get rid of, and and that's the kind of stuff where it came in like strike Jonesy's conversation here because it's not forwarding the story in any way. You know, right. it, it's adding information, but it's not really doing anything with these two characters in here, and uh, um, you know, so stuff like that. Yeah. And I mean, and honestly, I learned more about writing doing this process than I have in any class I've taken about writing. We probably all have. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, you know, this is, you know, I just, I, I've had a great time working with, with everybody here. And and hearing the actors read the stuff I write is even more satisfying. It is pretty cool, right? Because because <laughs> some of the things I had Crow say were just fantastic. <laughs> and I, I, I have to admit, one of my favorite characters was Pete Menno. <laughs> Pete, Pete was, was great. Pete was a blast. Mm. Pete was so much fun to write for and to write about. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't know if Pete would have died when he did if it wasn't for – we had a lot of shakeups by by season two um, where, you know, we had gone through like three actors for Pete, for Pete Menno. And it was yeah. getting to be troublesome and there's a certain point where you're just kind of like, you know, it's easier to shuffle this character into the background or just get rid of this character. And, and and so I don't want to say too much about, you know, all the decisions we made behind the scenes. But, you know, that is one where I specifically kind of thought, you know what, his story is really kind of at an end here. So how can we use his, you know, how can we tie this into events? And it sort of really worked to introduce Grail and to kill him at the same time. And, you know, it ended up just tying together nicely. So that's one of those things where we didn't set out to say, oh, Pete Minow's going to die in season two, episode nine. But it just, you know, as it went along, it became clear that, you know, his time in Wormwood was, was done. You know, we we lost a lot of pervy content when we killed Lamora and Menno so close yeah. together. Yeah. yeah, it's true. The show, got, the show got so much cleaner after that. Yeah, it really did. <laughs> I had to stop putting the explicit warning on the podcast. No. Um, <laughs> um, so Tiffany, let's talk about you. What are your thoughts? Uh, what are your thoughts on working on the project overall? Oh, that I was really excited in the beginning, and I'm really sad now because I want it to keep going i have i've had so much fun on it like to, to just kind of echo what everybody else has said um this is the first truly you know semi pseudo I, I guess it is completely professional i mean even though we're not like getting paid for it and we're not you know doing anything like that um the fact that it just feels so collaborative and and like i'm i'm actually a part of you know, creating this really awesome product. I, it's kind of an indescribable feeling, and to hear the actors say what you're writing, I mean that that's what you do it for, right? You you do it to hear that finished product and to know that you contributed to that and that you were a part of that, and and it's just immensely satisfying. So I'm 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 really sad that we're done. <laughs> I, I remember when you guys first said. Uh, said you know because from the the very beginning you guys have said this is a three season show and that was fine but you know when we got to the second season i'm like really we're gonna we're gonna end <laughs> in season three there there's, needs to be so much here and 
So I'm I'm sad, but at the same time, <laughs> it it needs to go, and it was fun. So I I really hope that something happens later because you know it, it it's now going to feel like this this hole. <laughs> you I mean it, it's been kind of a part of your life for the last. I mean how long how long we've we been doing it? We've been doing it at least three years, right? Three years. Two thousand seven. Yeah. 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 It launched in two thousand seven in July. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, like, it, it's just kind of weird to think, okay, this is really going to end now. I mean, I have my Wormwood commitment. Where's that now? And <laughs> I, I want it back. I, I want more excuses to buy more headsets when the cheapy Walmart ones break, because that's what's happened every single time. So We should say that, was it Tiffany or was it Rob? One of you guys said, oh, we should just keep doing podcasts as the writer's group and just keep doing podcasts, <laughs> just so we can keep talking. <laughs> that would be fantastic. Um, all right, so Paul, uh, uh, you know, what, any thoughts on um, the experience as a whole or anything yeah, the- about the finale or, you know, anything you want to say? Sure. This is. Uh, I'll. I'll try to keep br- keep it brief. But um, I um, I went to school for screenwriting and playwriting, so I got to put my my degree to work. Um, and this was a lot of fun. And and the just the the collaborate the, the the collaborative process really sort of I don't know it 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 was sort of the culmination of everything that I'd, I'd learned. And and it was also something that it it fulfilled something that I, I never got I never got as a writer writing by myself. So writing with a, a team of writers and, and, and solving sort of like solving this big Rubik's cube together was <laughs> was really fulfilling. Like just having a puzzle and and just everybody coming up with a kind of an idea. And then I w- I know I wouldn't have written as well, you know, if I wasn't trying to impress you guys. And if if you guys hadn't said something that sparked something in my mind, say, okay, that's how we have to solve this problem. Um, so it it. It um I know I've I've learned a lot as a writer and also the other thing is just that um writing for you know uh, um, sound only um, was a major challenge and and um, some of my first scripts I don't think I I I really grasped that and just what you know what you have to explain without you know showing it um, and sort of just what what you have to convey with just a person's voice and um, uh, you know beyond anything it's just really learning how to keep everything simple and um, I hope that my scripts got simpler and, and, and more cohesive and more understandable as, the, as, as they went on um, and uh, I just remembered at the end we were trying to um, ramp everything up and, and, and tie off all the loose ends that when, whenever we were trying to suggest like well, let's add this I was like no 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 Let's. We're not adding anything else. We're just. Let's. If we can subtract something, if we can cut, if we can end something here, let's do that. And that's something that I'm sure my my um, my professors in college would um, be delighted to hear because I was always. It was sort of like everything was too big. Everything was. It was just too many ideas. Too many things going on. And um, this was really about keeping it simple and just telling a pure story. Um, and and uh, m- making it complex instead of complicated. That's yes. that's the big thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so I, I've I've learned my lesson through, uh, you know, that, that that my teacher was trying to to you know, ram into me for uh, for all of college, but uh, <laughs> now I've figured it out. So. Well, for me, I'll just say that um, this was this was an amazing uh, experience overall. In that, you know. I, f- 
I had we had done a couple short films, and so to move to a long form serialized story just hit me on so many levels. I mean, it, it brought me it, it, and also to be able to ha- utilize supernatural elements and things like that that I couldn't use in in a, a short film or anything like that, where I was really only bound by the imagination. It was for me. It was being. It was my chance to write my. Twin Peaks or my X-Men or any of the serialized television or comic books that I had grown up with. So it was a huge thing. And I really owe it to, you know, the writers um, who I think really uh, uh, made me a better writer. You guys all, you know, um, you know, if nothing else, forced me to examine everything. But also it was really a thrill to sort of sort of take all this and then and get material from you guys and then and then figure out what was the best stuff and 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 shape it all and work with Jeremy and, and work with you guys it was amazing and then to take it to the the the, the cast and um put it all together it, it, it's I'm amazed you know looking back on it thinking that we got through three seasons that we completed it I mean I literally got a little teary-eyed when I put the last episode online on that Tuesday night at midnight I, I was like I, I can't believe it's up it's, it was a little. So, you know, the last thing I want to do I, before we get to the listener questions is I pulled up while we were all talking the um, the Wormwood series Bible from December nineteenth, two thousand and six. Two thousand and six. So this is one of the earlier drafts of the the series Bible, and I just want to kind of read a little a little bit from it in different places so people get an idea of. Um, of uh, uh, how close we stayed to it, and uh, and also in places how far we we, we may have drifted from it. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so let's see. First, I've got there's stuff about the format and everything, and uh, I'll skip all that. But uh, there's stuff about the production where we even say that we're going to have a, where the Wormwood writing staff will conduct a writers' room meeting once every other month. This will be either a virtual <laughs> conference or a physical meeting. The meeting will determine the course of the following month's production, dividing up assignments among the writers. Assignments are due in two weeks <laughs> to give the showrunners enough time to edit and shape the script for production. The developers yeah, say we're really sorry about that, fans. The we developed really are. Does it say the episodes are supposed to be 15 minutes long? Uh, well, this part says the developed script should run at least two hours in length. That's I think that means for eight episodes. Okay. Um, uh, 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 let's see. It does say down here under post-production, it says the exact nature of the post-production <laughs> schedule is yet to be determined. But audio <laughs> files will be edited and uploaded to a special Wormwood webpage on the Habit Forming Films website. These clips will be uploaded once a week in 20-minute segments. 20. <laughs> <laughs> we quickly uh, divested ourselves of that. Um, here's the, the first uh, paragraph of the story. Once a preeminent psychologist, Dr. Xander Crow had never met a psyche he couldn't dissect until he met little Samantha Holloway, that is. That disastrous encounter led Crow down the path of the darker sciences. His exact dealings in the occult remain a mystery, but the rumor is that an encounter with hell cost Crow his right hand, an appendage replaced by a hand of glory, a preserved hand cut from the corpse of a hanged man. Ever since then, Crow's life hasn't been the same. Most recently, he's run afoul of a mob boss, Don Marino, in Los Angeles after a failed exorcism cost Marino the life of his daughter. Um, the eerie vision of a drowned woman leads Crow away from Marina's mob goons as he escapes Los Angeles and finds himself in a small town called Wormwood. Um, and <clears throat> from there, I mean, it mostly talks about stuff that's set up for, for um, um, season one. Um, but then I have the secret story behind Wormwood, and it says the object and the mystery of Emily Saunders' death. And here's some of the first descriptions of the object. There is an item in Wormwood known only as the object. It is a small sealed casket with no apparent locks or hinges. It has handles on each side and a strange series of runes. 
It is made of an unknown black metal, but no physical force or human technology can open it. The object houses within it a suppressed aspect of mankind, what is perhaps a final stage of human evolution, although we do not yet know of the cost to humanity. Is it alien in nature? Is it divine in nature? The oldest legends and stories speak of the object as a device to bring about apocalypse, to usher in a new age of man that is unstoppable and monstrous. But perhaps this is merely a cautionary tale. Perhaps it is simply power incarnate, in which case it can be used for good or evil. The object feeds on the collective, on the collective unconscious, fill, filling itself on the DNA of the psychic landscape, bending reality to feed the strongest emotions imprinted there. Dreams and nightmares are the first signs, then ghosts and demons, then madness and transmogrification. As our characters learn more about the object, they will discover prophecies and legends that depict a new monstrous evolution, but other tales will tell of a spiritual evolution, a unity of man through, through the collective unconsciousness. But which is the true answer? How do we know when to open the box? These are the stakes laid out for Wormwood and the object's guardian. Knowing whether this device will save the world or destroy it may be the final act of the town of Wormwood, but that fate is for the future to decide. The next paragraph actually mentions the Maidu myth first. It says, The object has been ground in the ground since the earliest Maidu Indian myths and stories about the region. And then it says, Prior to that, there was a lone Viking ship in 790 AD that somehow managed to find its way to the California coast. Did they bring the object? And if so, how far back to, into history does the object go? So we had some of that stuff very early on. And I will say this is an early draft of the Bible, and there's a later draft where we actually had expanded upon the um, object being an aspect of creation uh, even before the series began. So some of this stuff changed even before, uh, even after this, but before season one was really began. But um, that's some of the, some of the early stuff. Um, in 2006, Phineas, now, 19, now 89 years old, enlists several members of the Secret Circle to form a plan. Phineas is losing control over the object, and they need a new guardian. Most recently, an entity has been unleashed from the box. As a shadowy figure begins to transform the landscape of Wormwood, Emily Saunders decides to become the willing sacrifice to bring a new guardian to Wormwood. <clears throat> they prepare, but something strange happens. Xander Crow arrives in Wormwood too early, throwing their plans out of joint. Is Xander truly the guardian? Is it a mistake? Does Emily still have to die? And when does and when she does die, who is truly to blame? So, you know, we stuck with a lot of it. Um, I'm looking here at some of it. Um, there's a seasonal breakdown, and then there's even season two and season three. Um, oh, interesting. So in season two, Phineas's lack of control before his death allowed the object to make the presence known. Now, with Crow's lack of experience, various invaders begin to populate Wormwood. So that's pretty much our setup for Season 2. And uh, Season 3 brings Crow and new members of the secret group into the foreground as they attempt to decide the fate of the box and the town. This is where the full scope of the box is revealed and the stakes are raised to their highest level. Crow's burden is deciding the fate of humanity. <sighs> Interesting. There's a whole section on the mystery of Rachel Nolan's death and, and the book club. I won't read all that. Um, and we actually have a seasonal breakdown for that. Um, <clears throat> I have some characters here, and some of them never made it in beyond the series Bible. <laughs> there is Mrs. Green, role an alcoholic former school principal who now runs the only gas station in town. Ironic, <laughs> since she was the one who burned down Wormwood Elementary. <laughs> uh, let's see. Bettina Lee was, runs the hair salon in town. But she's also a trusted member of Phineas's inner circle. We, she's the town gossip, but we never got to uh, uh, even use her at all. Um, 
Here's okay. We were talking about Jimmy details earlier. I won't read his his uh, character description, but here's his physical description. His hair is a little long and unkempt. He wears only band t-shirts, and he usually wears shorts or baggy pants. He does not own a tie. He speaks with no shame, throwing out whatever is on his mind. He's got a slight surfer dude accent, a twang to his voice. (laughs) Um, Here's one of Jeremy's characters that never made it in. Alfred Alfie Drugel, (laughs) the local (laughs) dim bulb who lives with his mother. He spends most of his day busting dishes at the diner. He's special, is what he thinks. The kids like to pick on their... Oh, man. I'm not sure I even want to read, read that. <laughs> it's offensive. <laughs> um, generally, Alfred is happy-go-lucky, but he does have a temper, and he's been known to fly off into uncontrollable rage, most memorably with a pretty teenage girl at the high school football game mocked him a few years back. He's friends with Jimmy Details and always one- wears one of his many band T-shirts. <laughs> Again, oh, I'm sorry about the beagle there, you guys. <laughs> it's okay. I forgot that Jimmy Details had a sidekick. <laughs> the there side was then there was Natalie. Sidekick. There was Natalie Drugel, who's a widow, widow and mother to Alfred. She lives in the only apartment building in in the town of houses. She she works in Bradley's <laughs> butcher shop. We totally forgot about the butcher shop. Oh, we did. Yeah. <laughs> and complains oh, of always smelling like meat. <laughs> that would have been fun. I remember we had a story where she was going to be having like some uh, online online, um, chat, a, online right? chat affair with someone outside of Wormwood, and it was going to be sort of this nefarious presence that was that was going to be their link into coming into Wormwood. Yeah. Wow, it's yeah. fascinating, fascinating. It was it, it, was, it was a werewolf she was talking to. I think was that it. I think so. Okay. Uh, most of the other characters are all characters that we know. Charles and Katrina Edison, Harlan Panic, Julian Callender, Deidre Frost, Sister George. Um, uh, the Muddy Man was originally l- listed as being Mr. X in the series Bible. <laughs> I, re- I remember that. Um, so, yeah, interesting, interesting. Um, and then another funny thing that I, I actually wrote this for um, – Oh, there's a historical timeline that that covers everything that was eventually covered, mostly in Jimmy Detail's um, final speech in the finale, uh, that covers everything from the opening to uh, to to uh, events, but including the suicide of Francis Griffin, uh, Denise Wentworth Griffin, and the and the quarry and it falling into disrepair. But um, but there's also something I wrote, which was it was Jimmy Detail's blogging about. Um, about Wormwood. And this is before we ever cast Jimmy, before any scripts were written. Um, it was called Wormwood Details, Jimmy's Guide to a California Ghost Town. Founded by Jimmy Details, leader, lead guitar vocals, The Depressive Mannix. Welcome to Wormwood Details. I'm your haunted host, Jimmy Details, front man of The Depressive Mannix, which is currently seeking gigs in the Northern California area. Visit our MySpace page, www.myspace.com slash depressive manic for more details yeah (laughs) that tells you it was 2006 (laughs) and uh, i'm i may have even set up a depressive manic page i'm not sure do you remember jeremy did we ever do that or do we not get that far you know what we talked about it i don't know if we ever did it we were gonna i don't think we ever did it so hey i set up dale's blog for one one (laughs) you did you actually set up a ghost hunter's blog um and he's written it sort of like a travel piece, and I won't, I won't uh, read the whole thing, but um, he starts with, Founded in 1864 by Welsh immigrant Francis Griffin, born December 8, 1823, and home to the population of about 1,000 in 2004, Griffin's Granite Quarry, Wormwood Granite Works, supplied exceptionally st- strong raw material that can be found in the foundations and walls of a number of California's historical land- landmark historical buildings. Note, that's almost word for word what went into the finale of Wormwood. Um, is the... the 
name of the town is a bit of an urban legend. Early writings indicate that Griffin was an absinthe aficionado, and he found a, and he found the granite quarry while looking for suitable terrain to plant and cultivate wormwood plants and create California's first absinthe distillery. Um, I've got he's got a, a rattle of facts where he says stuff like the town's name was later voted the ugliest town name in California by California Mag- Magazine, October 1983. Um, <laughs> Uh, let's see. It should be noted that Griffin also quarried black granite, a very dark granite used mainly for cemetery monuments and buildings, including the Griffin Cemetery, which was named number 47 in Authentic Psychic Magazine's article on Northern California's Most Haunted Cemeteries, April 1996. The apparent psychic activity in the Griffin Cemetery brings an infrequent and modest tourism to the town. Uh, let's see, what else? He's got stuff about from the journals of Francis Griffin. As noted in the Journal of Francis Griffin, dated May 22, 1876, Colonial Press, 2nd edition, 1979, above all else, the township, in as many or as few the numbers, exists as a living entity, one that must be educated and immersed in all the secrets of life, becoming thus and forevermore immortal and ingrained in the heart of man's society. <laughs> I don't know even why I wrote that. <laughs> I, ju- I just see, so I see Dave sitting in the bathtub with a yellow legal pad, just <laughs> jotting down weird ideas. Oh, it is totally... Um, I don't really want to. I, I I didn't hear that right. What? Uh oh, are we cutting off? You guys I'm there? Still here. Oh, okay. I'm here. I I, I heard Rob cut out for a second. Are you there, Rob? Am I there? Yes. You guys hear me? <laughs> yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. No, I was just insulting you. Don't worry about it. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna skip that part. Okay. Um, I love. <laughs> this is some of the earliest stuff. One often overlooked fact is that Wormwood is not, in fact, a town. It has no formal government, only an elementary school, a post office, the library, and a county fire station. The town also consists of several small businesses, including the Wormwood Diner, the Cold Turkey Saloon, and the Wormwood Inn, Puck's Market, and Bettina's Hair and Nails Beauty Parlor. There is also a small one-screen theater that was built in 1967 as an attempt to create a small suburban feel to the town. The town also has one church, a small building that once belonged to the Catholic Church, but has since been purchased and remodeled by a colorful, colorful local minister known as Mother Joe. So that was something that changed. Yeah, um, Sister George. <laughs> in addition to the aforementioned Griffin Cemetery, there are several instances on record of strange phenomena in, in Wormwood. Unexplained cattle mutilations have led to the suggestions of both vampirism and la chupacabra in <laughs> Latin American folklore. <laughs> Uh, I also I also wrote that Wormwood also experiences frequent power outages. The locals refer to it as the Wormwood Curse, but the area utilities company insists that the outages are part of the effects of the cold winters on the locals' power substations, which, according to Pacific Gas and Electric, are being upgraded as part of a complete overhaul estimated for completion in late 2008. <laughs> it just goes on like that. But in the end, he talks about the name Wormwood also rose to brief recognition in late 1997 when the post-grunge metal band, the Wormwood Five, gained some popularity playing gigs in the greater Northern California area. With their popular song, My Hometown is a Ghost Town, lead singer and guitarist Jimmy Details was hailed by the Pacific Register as a remarkably adequate for a small town garage band. <laughs> Unfortunately, the four-man band broke up shortly thereafter over a disagreement about the use of the word five in the name of a four-person band. While the lead singer argued the mystery the band's fifth member would create an incredible buzz, especially once the rumor was dropped that the fifth member was in fact Satan and the band members had sold their souls to grant the devil membership into the band, his bandmates felt that his approach was nothing more than a gimmick and they moved on to form the far less interesting pop metal band Monkey Train. 
However, the metal sound was continued in 1998 by Cosmic Kid, detouring into a Britpop-inspired hybrid 1999 with Dead Hands, then returning with a series of experimental metal hip-hop fusion bands in the early years of, years of the new millennium. More recently, singer-songwriter Jimmy Details has continued to pioneer a new true metal sound with the attention-getting trio, The Depressive Manix. How old is Jimmy Details? <laughs> he's, he's 27, I think. I think so, yeah. Yeah, I think he's, I think he's 27. Okay. He's ambitious. He, he's really ambitious. It's best we not think about that. Okay. Well, he's, so, a, he's a year older than I am. And, and, and he's back in school, or he was in school for a while. <laughs> you, guys, you guys remember the, the cold opening for uh, season one with Sparrow? Uh, and which we one? Some, we had some metal band playing. Yes. Oh, she's, was it the I, radio? She's working, right? Yeah. yeah, she's working, and it was Jimmy Detail's band. He dropped off a CD. That's right. It's on the radio. It, but wrote his name of the band in like uh like not not a sharpie but the uh the dry erase marker. <laughs> so it wipes off. <laughs> so it wiped off. Uh <laughs> <laughs> oh. So that's stuff that's never been read anywhere, but that's that was one of the earliest pieces written to establish the tone of Jimmy Details, and I think we uh, stayed pretty true to that <laughs> over Jimmy time. Yeah. And that wraps up the first half of our Writer's Roundtable discussion. The recording session lasted two and a half hours, so we decided to cut it here and uh, come back again. We will bring you the second half of this where we answer all of your listener questions next week. So stay tuned, and we'll see you back in town. Mm-hmm.